Good morning, church. It's good to see you all. My name is Nathan Ayersman, and almost nine years ago now, I married into these pews over here, uh, into the into the Swihart family, and it's been a, a joy for us in these nine years to come and worship with you occasionally, and it's a, a special joy for us now to have this season of getting to be part of this church family, to be worshiping with you week in and week out, and I know many of you have been praying for us, and some knowing who we are, and some not knowing or knowing why, but still praying, and so we want to thank you for that, and, and that really is a, just a, a great picture of what I love about God's good design for the local church, that, you know, the, the way of the world is for people to, to individualize and to separate from one another, and people will gather around some kind of shared interest, like a our favorite sports team or a political ideology or vocation or, or something. But even then, it, it doesn't seem like they really get along for long. Uh, but God, in his grace and according to his sovereignty and his goodness, he designed the church to be a united body of diverse people caring for one another. And we are called as a church to live differently in the world, and, and we need one another to do that. And so that's what we're going to be exploring together this morning. So I invite you to turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. I'll be starting in verse 12 and then reading through to verse 17. This morning we're going to be looking at this passage that beautifully outlines what I'm calling four characteristics of our new life together. So Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 12. Hear the word of the Lord. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Good and gracious God, we're so thankful for this morning, for the opportunity we have to come together in your name and for your glory, to worship you, to be encouraged by one another, to edify one another as we study your word together. We ask that you, by the work of your Holy Spirit, open the eyes and the ears of our hearts and our minds to receive your truth this morning. Pray that you would be glorified as we study your word together. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So as we begin our walk back through this passage, it's important to remember that 
Paul wrote the letter of Colossians to a local church. This is important uh, to know because it, it important to know that it was originally written to a group of people because that helps us to then rightly apply the principles of the text to a group of people. For example, reading through this passage, there are seven you's, seven you statements. When I read you in the Bible, it's really easy for me to take that to mean me, you know, personally, just me. But if we remember that Colossians was written to a group of people, a group of believers, it clues us into the fact that each of these yous is plural. And I don't know why Bible translators do this. They, they act like we don't have a word in the English language for a plural form of you, but we do, right? Y'all, right? <laughs> Uh, so there, that's any time we read you in this passage, really it's most helpful to understand it as saying y'all. So forgive me, I'm not from Texas. I have family from Texas. So I'm going to be bringing out the y'all this morning uh, to help us remember that there, there really is a corporate meaning to everything uh, that we're going to be talking about. This passage is all about how we all or how y'all are to live together as a church according to the character of Jesus. So let's explore together these four characteristics of our new life together. First, we are new in Christ. We are united in one body. We are edifying one another, and we are doing everything for Jesus. Those are the four. So we'll start with characteristic number one. We are new in Christ. This is from verses 12 through 14. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and, if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony." So the command here is to put on, then, this list of characteristics. It's a, it's a call to action, to clothe ourselves in the attributes of a Christian community. But before we get to looking at the, the list of characteristics, the little word then means that this thought is connected to the one before it. So to really understand what is going on here, we need to first consider the big picture of what Paul is saying in Colossians. So back in, in Colossians 1, starting in verse 13, it says that God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. In, in Jesus, we have a new citizenship. We're part of a new kingdom. And in Colossians 2, those who have faith in Jesus have been made alive together with him. And then in Colossians 3, a little earlier, it says that we who are in Christ are to put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Now, the big idea up to this point is that because of what Jesus has done for y'all as believers, y'all are supposed to live not like those in the domain of darkness, but as those in the kingdom of Jesus. Though in Jesus, we have been given a new identity. We are God's chosen ones, holy 
and beloved. <coughs> Excuse me. Because of the, the sinless life and the atoning death and the victorious resurrection and the triumphant ascension of Jesus, we no longer stand before the holy God clothed in the, you know, the filthy rags of our sin, but we stand before the holy God clothed in the blinding white robes of Jesus' righteousness. And it's in response to that amazing truth that it's our job to put on then the character of Jesus together. So in this passage in Colossians 3, then, is Paul's description of what that looks like. Because we are new in Christ together, we must put on, then, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other. And above all these, we put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Each one of these attributes itself could really easily be a sermon on its own, but as we look at at the list as a whole, there's a common thread that these characteristics are relational. These commanded characteristics of the new self are only evident when we are in relationship with one another. So imagine that you walk into the post office downtown and you see somebody reaching in to grab their mail and can you look at that person who, you know, believe it or not, you've actually not met before, this is somebody new, can you look at them and think, wow, what a kind guy he is. What a compassionate heart he has. He's so patient. He must be the most humble guy I've ever seen. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't work like that, right? These attributes are things that we can only perceive or that we can only measure when we interact with somebody, it's implicit in, in Paul's command to, to putting on these characteristics that believers be in relationship with one another. And Paul says that in our relationships, we are to be marked by these characteristics of the new self, having compassionate hearts and kindness, humility, meekness, patience, and love. And, and we need to remember that these are characteristics of our new life together, Right? The idea is not that each of you individually should be displaying these characteristics, but that y'all collectively right, should display compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, and love. So then verse 13 gives us a helpful litmus test that we can use to measure how we're doing as a church body. Are we bearing with one another? When someone in our midst falls short of this target, are we patient with them? Do we pick them up and help them along? Are we quick to forgive each other, remembering how God has graciously forgiven us? Is a love for one another binding us together in perfect harmony? It's a a high calling, undoubtedly so. But as the body of Christ, we we must strive to be like Jesus, Jesus who is the perfect embodiment of a compassionate heart, and of kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, and of love. Because when we have a, a proper care for others and a willingness to put one another first, we magnify the name of Jesus and we bring glory to God. 
So the first mark of our, our new life together, then, is that we are new in Christ. And the second characteristic is that we are united in one body. We are united in one body. We'll look again at verse 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in y'all's hearts, to which indeed y'all were called in one body, and be thankful. So we don't have to, to go far for clarification on what Paul means here by the peace of Christ. We only have to turn back probably a page in your Bible to Colossians 1, uh, verse 18 through 20, part of the passage that Kelly read as our, our call to worship. Colossians 1, starting in verse 18, says, And he, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This is what Paul has in view in Colossians 3 when he speaks of the peace of Christ, that Jesus, fully God in the fully human form, was pierced for our transgressions so that we might be reconciled and made back into right relationship with God, having peace with him. (coughs) Excuse me. And so now, as those who are new in Christ together, this blood-bought peace should be the ultimate determiner of how we live and interact with one another. And that's what it, what it means to have the peace of Christ ruling in your heart. When I think of ruling, the first thing I think of is a king. Right? And that, that's an appropriate image for Jesus. Absolutely, he is our king. But that's not what the word means in, in this verse. In, in this passage in Colossians 3, the word rule, uh, it has more the image of being an arbiter or an umpire. And when I think umpire, I think baseball. I played one year of kid pitch baseball growing up. I only lasted one year because it turned out to not be very much fun. I was this shrimpy little kid, and I'd get down in my batting stance and Turned out that no 12-year-old in my little rec league was good enough to even get a pitch in front of me to try to swing at. Just every time, it'd go sailing high, you know, ball, 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 uh, every time. And my mom has this great picture. She's got me, you know, holding my bat. And you can see the ball in blurred motion sailing way above my head. And that's, that was my life, playing baseball, and it just wasn't much fun uh, for me, but... If there wasn't the umpire there, there would probably still be somebody who tried to call that a strike. You know, everyone has their own perspective and their own self-interest. And I saw a ball. Yeah, well, I saw a strike. And so baseball needs an umpire to make the call. And we, as a local church body, we need the peace of Christ to make the call, to be the ultimate decider of how we interact. In verse 11 of chapter 3 in Colossians, the verse just before our passage for this morning, Paul says that here in the new self, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. 
It's, it's unavoidable that a church body of any size is going to have different perspectives. There are going to be different opinions and different preferences. But the call of the Bible is to put Jesus first above all of that. We must collectively decide to lay aside our differences and to stand together, united in one body by the finished work of Jesus. This is what's essential to our new life together, to let go of any attempt to control and to manipulate one another, and rather to let the peace already won by Christ be the determiner of our actions. Because of Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf, we are united to one another in one body. We don't have to fight for peace. The peace has already been achieved by Jesus. And Jesus, as the one who already achieved the peace, is calling us, his body, to join him as participants in that peace. It's our part to give ourselves over wholeheartedly to living in the peace of Christ. So we can ask ourselves, are we, as a church family, is our goal unity and harmony? Do we think about how we relate to one another and how we belong to one another? When you come here on a Sunday morning, are you approaching it as an individual act of obedience and worship? Or do you see yourself joining the body in one corporate act of obedience and worship together? And do we see one another as holy and beloved, as God's chosen ones, as the ones for whom Jesus bore the wrath of God on the cross? Because if that's how we see one another, it becomes much easier to allow the peace of Christ to rule in our hearts. In a a world that puts the self on the highest pedestal, the countercultural truth of the gospel sees our lives and ourselves only in relationship to one another. When the world says, it's every man for himself, or you do you, the gospel says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you all were called in one body. We are new in Christ. We're united together in one body. And characteristic number three, we are edifying one another. We are edifying one another. Verse 16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in y'all richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Our new identity in Jesus is our starting point, and the knowledge of the peace he has achieved for us is our motivation, and here is our lifeblood. It's the source that makes it all possible. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Our family now dwells in St. Francis. We've made a home here. To dwell, it's, it's to take up residence. God dwelled among his people first in the tabernacle and then in the temple. God the Son took on flesh and he dwelled among his people. The Holy Spirit is sent to dwell in each believer, and now the word of Christ is to dwell in us richly. If we are to follow through on this passage and to live this new life together according to the character of Christ, we must plant the truth of the Bible in us so 
deeply, so richly, so abundantly that it, it lives in us. When Jesus confronted the Pharisees in, in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, he said that it's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. In other words, what is in you is going to come out of you. So we want to be so saturated with the truth of the gospel that it can't help but overflow out of us. And here in, in verse 16, Paul says that teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom is the natural overflow of letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly. When the gospel has taken up residence in your heart, you can't help it, but it becomes the the drive of your life to pour into one another and to stir up one another to love and good works. So it's important to remind ourselves again here at this point that this isn't First or Second Timothy or Titus. It's not a letter written to a pastor. This is a letter, the letter of Colossians written to a body of believers, a local church family. And so the implication is that we all, that Y'all have a responsibility and a part to play in teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. It's the God-given mission of the church to make disciples, people who come to know and love and serve Jesus, and always by the work of the Holy Spirit are growing to be more and more like Jesus. That's the mission of the church, and because the church is a people, not a, a building, this is y'all's mission. Each one of you has a unique, been uniquely gifted by God to meet the needs of one another and to stir up one another, to teach and admonish one another, to edify one another, the people in this church body. This is the work of discipleship that we've been called to, and we need one another if we are going to strive to be renewed in knowledge after the image of our creator. It's by the grace of God that people come to faith in Jesus when believers proclaim the gospel in word and in deed. By the grace of God, progressive sanctification happens. We become more like Jesus in the fellowship of believers as we speak the truth in love to one another. By the grace of God, as we're faithful to minister the truth of the gospel to one another in times of sin, in times of trial, in times of corporate strife, God is faithful to use us as agents of healing and transformation in the lives of our brothers and sisters. It's interesting to note here in verse 16 that Paul draws a direct line from teaching and admonishing one another to singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We can't ignore the power of songs to both make the word of Christ dwell in us and to teach and admonish one another. When we sing biblically grounded and theologically rich songs, yes, we're singing them as praises to God, but we're also singing them as teaching to one another. The songs that we sing together, are it's like a moving truck. Right? It's taking the truth from the pages of the Bible, moving it to take up residence in our hearts. When the word of Christ is dwelling in you richly in this way, that's what comes out when a friend asks for advice. When, when the word of Christ is dwelling in you richly, 
That's what comes out when somebody sins against you. When the word of Christ is dwelling in you, that's what comes out when you're exhausted, when you're fed up with the people around you. And in those moments when you can't find the words or when the sin inside of you is trying to come out, if the word of Christ is dwelling in you richly, the truth flows out of you instead. As we confess our sins to one another, as we work toward forgiveness together, as we teach and admonish one another to live according to God's ways, we create a community, a family of care and of healing and of hope. And that kind of community truly stands out against the dark backdrop of our sinful and divided world. We are new in Christ. We are united in one body. We are edifying one another. And finally, we are doing everything for Jesus. We are doing everything for Jesus. Look again at verse 17. And whatever you all do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. So in the preceding verses, Paul has hit several key elements of our life together as a church family. We must act together according to the new self, having put on the character of Jesus. We must subordinate our own interests to the corporate good and allow the peace of Christ to rule and to determine what we do and how we do it. And third, we must fill ourselves with the truth of the gospel and use it as an overflow to disciple and encourage one another. And now in verse 17, Paul is commanding us to take that same gospel-motivated, others-focused attitude into every moment of our daily lives. He says, whatever you do, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. It starts here. Our corporate gathering, it's our our training ground. This is where we teach and admonish one another. This is where we build up and sharpen one another through our caring and intentional interactions. This is where we remind each other of the gospel. This is where we practice deferring to one another according to the peace of Christ. And then we go in the name of Jesus. The gospel can't stop here. The gospel doesn't stay in this building. Just like the characteristics we put on can only be revealed when we're in relationship with one another, we're only a witness to the gospel if we're out in the world. (coughs) So think about if you were called up to Washington, D.C., and you were made to be an ambassador of the United States, but then you came home and only ever stayed home. You didn't ever leave the country. You wouldn't be an ambassador to the world. You would only be representing your country to your country. So as those who have been made new in Christ, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, we are ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven. The church gathers. We're encouraged and edified, equipped, and then we scatter to take the love of Jesus to our communities. The corporate gathering is our training ground. 
but our daily lives are the proving ground. That's where our faith is revealed and where it's lived out. We have all kinds of opportunities for this. When you're interacting with a difficult coworker, you're an ambassador of Jesus. When you stop mowing your lawn or shoveling the snow to talk to your neighbor, you're an ambassador of Jesus. When you're at school, you're an ambassador of Jesus. When you go to a game or the post office or the sale barn or wherever you go, you're an ambassador of Jesus. The question then is, how are you representing Jesus? This can be a, give a helpful self-evaluation tool. So if people around you are, are watching your life and everything you do is in the name of Jesus, imagine as if you were wearing a, a T-shirt that said, I am a Christian. How would everything you do reflect on the name of Jesus? Would people see you as being marked by compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, and love after the example of Jesus? This is the the kicker for me. It's not just in public, but what about in your own home? Your family sees a part of you that other people don't see. Do they see Jesus in you? The same questions are important for us to consider on a corporate level, too. How does everything we do as a church reflect on the name of Jesus? Are we tempted to make much of ourselves, or are we quick to glorify God? Do we show gentle and loving care and concern for the weak and for the marginalized in our community like Jesus did? Is First Baptist Church associated with the character of Jesus because of the way that we all interact with people throughout the week? The final words of this passage in verse 17 give the key to how we are able to live according to all these instructions. Paul says we are to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The call to thankfulness has been a consistent undercurrent to this whole passage. Verse 15 says to let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, and be thankful. And in verse 16, it says to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And now verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's think just briefly about all of the reasons just these six verses have given us to be thankful. We are God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. The Lord has forgiven you. Jesus was pierced for our transgressions so that we may have peace with God. The word of Christ, the power to save us from our sin, dwells in us. These are reasons to be thankful. And when we, as a church family, keep our eyes fixed on these truths, our hearts will be filled with thankfulness to God. And when our hearts are filled with thankfulness to God, we will be new together in Christ. We will be united in one body. We will be edifying one another. And we will do everything for Jesus.
You all have been called and ordained by the goodness and the sovereignty of God to be part of this church family at this time. So I challenge you to think about it. How are you contributing to the character of Jesus in this church body? Are you adding to or taking away from the character of Jesus? What sinful parts of the old self still have a hold on you that need to be let go and turned away from? Is there something that you're holding on to that you need to let go of so that you can let the peace of Christ rule in your heart? The call of the church is to put off the sinful and divisive ways of the world and to put on the peace and the harmony, and the love of the kingdom of Jesus. That's our call together, and that's our aim together, and that is our prayer together. Let's take a moment to pray for that together. Good and gracious Lord God, we are so thankful for your word, that you've revealed yourself to us in the word made flesh, the person of Jesus, who we get to know through your word written and recorded in the words of scripture. We pray that as we dwell on your word, as we meditate on it, that you would take up residence in our hearts. That as we meditate on your word, that we would see its beauty and our hearts would catch fire with thankfulness for you. As you bring to mind the truth of your word and as you bring to mind the riches of your grace and the forgiveness that you've given us, the way that you have reconciled us back to yourself through the body and the blood of Jesus, may we be motivated to go out from here as ambassadors of the kingdom of your beloved son. Pray that you use our time together, whether in formal corporate gatherings or in times when families are together sharing a meal or moms and kids are playing together at a park or at a Bible study. Use those times for us to teach and admonish one another, spurring one another on to love and good deeds, always striving to be more and more like Jesus. Would you give us boldness to seize the opportunities you put in front of us to proclaim the good news of Jesus to the lost and hurting world around us? We pray by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would speak through us that much would be made of Jesus, that the truth of the gospel would be communicated and that those seeds would fall onto good soil, that you would water and grow into believers who become our brothers and sisters in Christ. We love you and we're so thankful for this time. We're so thankful for your love. We pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.